You're listening to the Slumber Party Podcast with your host, Amanda Jusen, a mum of two girls, a child and infant sleep expert, and general sleep lover. If you're a tired parent who is desperate for answers or just someone who loves sleep, this podcast was created just for you. Each episode is packed full of tips and tricks to help you maintain your sanity as well as your social life during the early stages of parenthood. So grab your headphones, it's time to get comfy. I could not wait to have Tia on the podcast to talk about toddlers. They are everyone's favorite topic, and they are tricky. Toddlers are funny little people, and really, we are dealing with the first time your toddler understands that, A, they're not a part of you, and B, they can say no, uh, which is terrifying. <laughs> T and I do jump into a good conversation about setting boundaries, saying no, what is healthy, what's not, and some real deal actual strategies for you to keep your kiddo in their beds. Keep them in their beds. Enjoy. Welcome to Slumber Party, everybody. It is Amanda Jusen, and I'm I'm super excited today because we are with Tia and Tia, it's Tia Slidem, right? Yeah, Slidem, exactly. Yes, I nailed it. I did kind of <laughs> practice beforehand. I won't lie, and uh, mm-hmm. I also uh, I, I'm cheating because I heard you on um, the Moms That Say podcast, and so you did go through a little bit of a tutorial. So I did cheat a little to make myself look good right now, but it was worth it. I think. Um, yeah, <laughs> Tia like is a. Yeah, exactly. Uh, T is a parenting expert. um, And I love everything you have to say on toddlers. And I was really excited that you wanted to be on this podcast because toddler stuff is really hot with my community. Um, It's challenging. And I always say, when I'm talking about this age, like this is the first time you're really going to parent. you, You go from keeping your child alive to having to make decisions about what kind of parent you're going to be, about what kind of child you want your child to be. I mean, I think we can only control that to some degree or if at all. (laughs) Um, And I think it, I think as, well, do you feel like, uh, I would love to just jump in because you have so much content here, but I really, really struggled with this age. And I honestly think parents are quite unprepared. I felt unprepared. Well, you're, you're not alone in feeling unprepared. And that's, that's where that parenting guilt comes in so strongly because we have our kids, we take them home from the hospital. I remember putting my first son Hudson in the bucket and them saying, okay, you can go home now. And I was like, you want me to take him home? What am I supposed to do with him? I remember feeling totally unequipped. Um, and then you're right. As you go from keeping them alive and basic needs, all of a sudden you're on stage and it's up to you to be your child's teacher. And that's where we put so much pressure on ourselves. And parenting is not intuitive. People think we should know what to do when you walk out of that hospital room, but it's actually a learned skill. And it takes time and practice and education to make yourself um, and help yourself feel in control and equipped to deal with what toddlers and up you throw your way. And that includes a lot of mess ups, right? (laughs) 
hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, there, there. It's going to be kind of messy as you go along, and that's totally fine. It's, it's what we want to teach our kids. You make a mistake, you do something you're not proud of, you wish you did something better, and you try, you try better the next time, and that's what it's all about. I love that. And I think that, again, going back to the I wasn't prepared, on that same note, is that no one tells you it's okay to to fail. Like, we live in a society, I mean, I'm inundated with these messages as a sleep consultant, um, where there are tears involved in my methodology. I make, that's not a secret. Um, But I, I think we're inundated with messages that when our children are upset or they cry, um, that we are screwing up and that we are damaging them. So that is always a concern for my clients. Um, it's, you know, and it's, it, these are the messages that I think society tells us. And so we feel like, especially as our children get into adulthood, we feel like giant assholes when we have to say no and they're upset said about it because these are little people mm-hmm. um what what like how do you how do you manage this like what sort of advice are you giving parents here well it's funny you bring that up because I actually had an email this morning from um, a family I'm working with and I actually had that we copy the husband and wife all on the emails and I got one email from the wife and then three minutes later I had an add-on from the husband and you know they're they're not on the <laughs> same pages and he says um, you know my wife is still under the umbrella of she wants to have compassionate parenting and I wrote back to them, I totally understand and believe in compassionate parenting, but there's a difference between being compassionate and thinking you need to let, give in to every single thing that your child requests or wants, because now you're doing your child a disservice. You're actually not being compassionate by giving in or worrying if they cry for a few minutes. You're being more compassionate when you take the time to teach them life lessons in a really positive um, way that they can learn while still being connected and secure and bonding with you. That's really what I would call compassionate parenting. And I love this so much. I, I, yes. And I, I follow another parenting guru as well as you. I follow Janet Lansbury, who basically has the same advice that we do our children no, no service by not saying no. And we have this feeling that saying no and setting a boundary, um, is, is, is like the best thing for them or we're it's like we're not being compassionate if there is protest and a lot of what I come up with against um with parents when I'm because I work with this age too and I know you do and I want you to talk to me all about bedtime battles because this is this is you know the meat and potatoes of I'm sure both Mm -hmm. of our work um But a lot of what I come up against in my consultation time is I will say, okay, so then you're going to say, no, you can't come out of the room. And then the parent will say, but when I do that, that won't be a calm situation. They're going to be really mad about that. And I, I... it's like they're going to be mad about so much in their life. <laughs> it doesn't mean when we're te- when we're teaching them a new thing that we that we say to them, 
you know, you can do whatever you want and we want everything to be really calm. It is okay to have big feelings. I'm almost 37 years old and I still have big feelings. Why am I telling my child that they can't have big feelings? A hundred percent. And and teaching your child new skills, whether it's sleep or how to uh, conflict resolution with kids at school or sharing for toddlers. None of it's fun. It's like, you know, training to run a marathon. It is not fun running 26.2 miles. I have done it and it is brutal and not <laughs> everything is fun yeah. in life. But those are the things that that create you and build you up to the best person that you're going to be. And you are absolutely doing your child a disservice by letting them um, get away with everything because you're afraid they might get upset. Um, the trick is mm-hmm. learning skills so that you don't get upset. So you don't get oh, involved yes. in that game of war, and so that you can stand clear and calm, even though your child is not. Oh my God. Yes. Like <laughs> this is the <laughs> thing, right? Like you're Kid, I mean, it's kind of funny, but what we're all talking about and what we're, I guess, not expressly saying is our kids trigger us and we be, well, I mean, I'm speaking personally. I have yelled at my kids. I do yell at my kids. I, they, they, they push your buttons. They know how they're supposed to. It happens. Um, we obviously don't want that to happen all the time. Um, so yeah, like I think this is where that guilt comes in, right? Because when we feel unprepared and we feel like we don't have those sets of strategies, um, your kid is losing it and then you lose it. And then it's like two people losing it and nothing has happened. <laughs> and then it repeats the next day and the next day and the next day. And then pretty soon you're not enjoying parenting when really a yeah. few tools can turn that around for you. I love it. So I want to like, I feel like Tia, I just want to have coffee with you and have this conversation <laughs> private. Um, but in the meantime, people are listening right now because they're probably fighting with their child to stay in their room, which is the biggest toddler and preschooler issue, um, autonomy, uh, which is wonderful when children discover that they have it. Um, and it is challenging in a lot of ways overnight because they want to be using this new freedom all the time. And so that can mean, um, you know, I mean, it's happened to me with both of my girls with bed transitions. Um, First of all, I want to say, and I think, can you agree with this? Moving to a bed time transition is not like a two-day process. Would you agree? Yeah, it's not a two-day process. And if it is a two-day process, it's usually because your child doesn't realize they're in the bed at first. And so they're really going along with <laughs> yes. it. I did. And then all of a sudden they realize they have that autonomy and they're like, aha, I can get out of this place. And then you might have your issue. But if you have the issue right from out of the gates, for sure, you're not, you're not solving it in two days. But I can say if you start from the beginning, knowing what your sleep plan is, what your action plan is, then you come at it more confidently and you know what to do if they get out, if they decide to keep coming to your room, if they keep wanting in your bed. Like what is your plan so that you're comfortable? Because what happens is we start to get one night they come to our bed, one night we're too tired to walk them back, one night we lay with them. What happens is we get super gray and we live in that gray zone. And that's where your kids are going to push you and push you and push you because they're begging for those black and white boundaries. What 
are my sleep expectations? Mom and dad, what do you want from me? And they will keep pushing until you have that plan. So starting with a plan right out of the gate is the best way to make that transition as smooth as possible. And I would love for you to share like some of your top tips. I know actually you've developed a course on this um, and I would love, you know, if you're comfortable giving like a few little snippets of what people can expect from that course or some things like, you know, T, I'm going to buy your course tomorrow, but right now in this (laughs) moment, I need a five second tip because I'm going to, I'm not my best self at at 3 a.m. I I might be projecting a little bit here, but I am not my best self at 3 a.m. So if if you could know, um, what are some like high level things to think about at 3 a.m. or to prepare for? Okay. At 3 a.m. Okay. So what I would first ask is that you are asking yourself, is my child falling asleep independently when they start the night? Mm -hmm. Because if you are laying with them or you are having to be their sleep aid, they are going to be looking for you or that sleep aid at 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. or multiple times during the night. So that is your first thing that you're going to have to ask yourself because until you have that solved, um, they are going to keep coming for you. Um, The second thing that I would like you to think about is um, whether or not you're creating um, some concrete boundaries around being in their room during the day and during the night so that they feel safe in there. Oftentimes, um, parents are threatening you know, their kids, oh, I'm going to lock your door. I'm going to, you know, lock the gate. And then what happens is your kids become fearful. So then they, they don't want to settle in their room. So what are your boundaries around their room, around their comfort in their room, making it a safe, secure place for them so that in the middle of the night, when they wake up, they start feeling better going there. Um, in my course, I walk you through four lessons Um, with some extra bonus modules and a workbook so that you can work through these things. But basically how it has to start is you've got to start one with thinking about like, what is your dream bedtime routine? In all honesty, it shouldn't take longer than 30 minutes start to finish. Um, in a, in a dreamland for me, it's, you know, you bathe them, you brush their teeth, you do a few stories, um, you sing a quick song and you kiss them and you walk out you're done. You don't have them coming in and out. They're not asking for nine drinks. They're not asking to go potty again, even though you just went. Um, So I walk you through how to create these really concrete bedtime routines that your kids will cooperate and actually do with a couple secret tools that I have in there that help your child feel independent and confident. Um, So what we need to think about is that not going to bed isn't just about not going to bed. There are deeper seated issues there, whether that's you're in the gray zone of boundaries, whether that's because you don't have a sleep action plan, whether you have empty threats, or whether your child isn't feeling capable um, or getting enough attention. So um, I just rambled forever there. So I probably gave you too much information in a short time. Um, but in short, you basically no, no. you need to kind of have your expectations to start the evening. You need to find your ideal bedtime. So oftentimes clients come to me and their kids aren't going to bed until 9.30 or 10 at night. And they're two, three, four, five, six, even 10 years old. 10 o'clock is yeah. too late. You're guaranteed bedtime battles. If your child is going to bed so late, they're overtired. You cannot expect them to cooperate or do anything that you want them to do. So I walk you through ideal bedtimes. Um, and then I also walk you through how to set those boundaries and what to do to get yourself out of that gray zone. And then your step-by-step action plan, which in this case for big kid beds, um, doesn't often actually involve as many tears as a crib because you are able to support them in different totally. ways. 
yeah. So um, well, I actually that. talk that that's a really great point because I think parents avoid doing like I hate the term sleep training. I just I'm too lazy to come up with a better term like sleep coaching or sleep assistance, helping them learn how to sleep. But essentially, people don't want to do that with older children because there's this horror story playing in their head about locking the door on their children, not coming in until the morning. Um, and then, you know, that nobody wants to do that. Yeah. Um, but the great thing is that with this, like, honestly, I, I would say from two up, communication is our is our tool. And for a, a lot of babies who cry during a sleep training process, they can't communicate their frustration in any other way with you. Do you know what I mean? A child can. I, I always say, like, my my kids, I'll be like, go to bed. And they'll be like, I don't want to. And I'll be like, go to bed. <laughs> and nobody's crying about that. But they can just, they protest with their words, not with with tears. I mean, I do think that there can be a little bit of uh, a gray zone. Like if, if you are, just to go back, I, I wrote down your points here because I think they're excellent. Um, number one, if you're, if you are, falling asleep with your child, holding their hand, rubbing their back. These things seem really innocent at the time, right? They are really like, oh, who cares? It's just 10 minutes, you know? Like, I I agree, 10 minutes. And then it's 10 minutes plus five times that night. Mm -hmm. Because if you are, you know, going back to the psychology and, you know, essentially the whole... um. Uh, idea behind the work I do and you do is that if there is anything helping your child to sleep, rocking, um, boobs, bottles, I mean, I'm talking about babies. Um, these are things that they ha- they absolutely need to fall asleep. Then they when they wake up and they end a sleep cycle, they legitimately and behaviorally want the same conditions again. So mm-hmm. like none of this will work if you are lying with your children or co-sleeping with them before they go to bed. I know it's lovely. It's just like, I wish, and I'm sure you wish this as well. I wish that we could snuggle our kids to sleep and they stayed there and then everyone had a great sleep. (laughs) But if those things are still happening, it will, it won't happen for you. Um, So obviously when you are removing some of that help to sleep. There could be frustration, but again, I'm sure with my plans and your plans, you don't have to leave and shut the door and peace out. I actually suggest probably staying with them for a few days until they figure things out and then slowly removing yourself from that process. Um, But even then, like I, I can't think of any, any like preschooler, because I think this is the age people are really freaked out, like three and four. And there's a lot of shame. Like, oh, I still lay with my kid or I sleep with them at night. So I'm not going to get any help because now they're three and four and there's no there's no help for them. But there is. And it's really, honestly, I think it's a lovely bonding process. 
Yeah. And you know what? That brings up a really good point that parents are ashamed and they don't want to ask for help because they're putting so much blame on themselves. Like I've messed this up. It's my fault. If I ask for help, I'm a worse mom than my neighbor. I'm not as good as the moms in my mom's group. Everybody else is saying their kids are sleeping great. No one else's kids tantrum. Mine are the worst Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to ask for help. And that's like my mission is helping moms realize that asking for help is a strength. Like if we were all mm-hmm. excellent at everything, none of us would have jobs. But I mean, I'm not excellent at art. I, I cannot draw anything. I would have to ask for help. And there's yeah. no shame in that. This is exactly the same thing. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. There's nothing wrong with making mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. I make a ton every day. I'm yeah, not joking. People. I'm always like, I actually... On Saturday, I posted my daughter had this. She was just having a rough time. I don't even there's something up this week. I don't know. If she's learning a new skill or just having a tough time somewhere. But she's in a she's in a funk. And we went out on Saturday, and she literally cried all morning about random things. So we got in the car and we drove around and I shared my like parenting win. I'm like, you know what? Driving around, she got to pick the music. It was so great. I feel like I just want to share this with you in case you're having this day. And like literally the end of the day, she had been like pushing back on everything and pushing back on everything and pushing back on everything. And we go to gymnastics where she begged me to add her, like begged me. My friends go to gymnastics. I want to go to gymnastics. I want to go to gymnastics. So finally we go and she was like, I don't want to go. And I was like, get into gymnastics. I'm like, well, there you go. There, mm-hmm. all my, all my parenting, <laughs> gone. but you I win know. some and you, you lose some. Yeah. You hit the wall. <laughs> yeah, you hit the wall. Yes. And, and you know what? And that, how, how old is she? She's five. She'll be six yeah. in April. Yeah. So, you know what? So I usually tell parents, like, if you, like, sometimes we just have bad days and, and so do grownups. Like we just wake up and we're in a foul mood and it happens. Um, but what we want to start asking yeah. ourselves is, is why is this behavior happening? She's not just trying to be, you know, unkind. No. She's not just trying to be a total pain in the, you know what? She's actually yeah. working to get her needs met. So I, I tell yeah. parents, Imagine she's wearing this giant sign around her neck when she starts to act up, when she pushes back, when she's refusing to go into gymnastics that says, help me meet my needs. So what are these needs? So basically our kids have a basic needs box and they have an emotional needs box. And if we don't check those off each and every day, they'll try and get them met. And that's always through negative behavior because like we said, we communicate, but at their level, they can't communicate these feelings. They're too big. Yeah. No. And I, it's funny. So my husband and I actually sat down, um, after that weekend and we had just, it was, you know, the, the week immediately after the holidays, my husband got home. Uh, he hopped on a plane. He traveled for a week. So everything was kind of up in the air. And we were like, you know, maybe she just needs some like one-on-one time without her sister, parents only. And so we, we plotted out some time in the week just to have time with her and reconnect. So, you know, in those moments, you're not thinking that. I just want to say that, like, because... In the moment of her pushing back about gymnastics, I'm just annoyed. I hit my wall. Like yeah. literally, I dealt with it for eight hours. I was done. And it happened. And then the next day, I said, look, 
I was frustrated and I'm sorry. I've had some time to think about it. I think that we just need to hang out just together, you and mom for a while. And she's like, yeah, that's a great idea. So it's not like when you have those moments, they happen, but you can totally go and repair them. Mm -hmm. And what has been really cool, because I didn't have this parenting. This is not the parenting that I grew up with. But what's really cool about my daughter is I find her being really open with me about these sort of repair processes and even her feelings. So when she came out of gymnastics, she goes, are you still mad at me? And I was like, look, Winnie, I wasn't mad at you. I was frustrated. She goes, well, you were mad at me. You had that face (laughs) and it looked like this. And, you know, I could tell. And I was like, I'm so glad you felt safe to share that with me. And then we just talked it out and it was over. And I was like, ah, I can't get it right, but I am really proud of this. Yeah. And you, and you apologize for it. You, you taught her a lesson that we're human. We make mistakes and I'm sorry. And I'm going to try and do better next time. That's really all you can do. Um, you brought up a point about all day long, you were dealing with it. And yes, those days are Mm -hmm. brutal. Mm -hmm. But what I try and suggest Mm -hmm. to parents is when they're in those moods, don't involve yourself. Like just completely let them know, I am really sorry you're having a bad day, but right now that's not kind to me and I'm not going to be part of it. And then just go do your own. Yes. Let them be grumpy. Okay. I like that. But what we teach our kids is that they can't hit other kids. They can't, um, yes. you know, other kids are mean to them. They can't control other people. We have to also mm-hmm. let them know that we can't control them. We're not, we're not controlling yeah. our kids. We're encouraging cooperation, but what, who we can control is ourselves. So by walking away and letting yeah. them know you're sorry, they're upset, you validate their feelings, but you also role model to them that it's okay. If somebody's not being kind to you to walk away, yeah. Um, and sometimes that yes. oh, I like that. on the spot because now that behavior is yeah. not working for them. It doesn't work to be grumpy with you yeah. because you're not bothered. Yes, a hundred percent. So I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm loving all of this. I, I feel like it really does connect back, um, back to those bedtime battles because I feel like when, you know, I've, I've dealt with it. It's, you know, 3am and you say, go back to bed, but I don't want to go back to bed. Well, I'm sorry. We're going back to bed. This is a really safe and healthy thing. I always ask parents to bring it back to a health and safety concern, right? Because this is sleep is not one of those. Sleep is not like choosing to play with your toys or screen time. Like sleep is if you don't have it, there are health issues involved. It's I say it's just as dangerous as as, you know, saying, okay, it's okay that you go and play with that that chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And and ultimately 90% of your kids' behavior issues, if your child's not sleeping, you got to start there because you're already setting yourself up for a miserable day. If day in and day out, your child's overtired. I mean, they are like out of body. I, I can't even classify kids who are so overtired, how their behavior is because it's literally them begging you to help them sleep. That's it. Once you get that done, you see a massive shift and now you can start fixing the little things that you want to tweak and make changes to. A a lot of the behavior kind of 
comes back or like everything kind of comes into place. So once bedtime is sorted, um, you know, overtiredness for sure is an issue. Uh, but you'll also see once those boundaries around bed are nice and firm, they will stop pushing around other areas because mm-hmm. they trust that you're the leader in yeah, the house. When, yeah. And, uh, you know, I... I do. I think we differentiate a little bit. Like I always say, so in my house, you can have the door open when you go to sleep. If you're coming in and out of the room, I'm going to have to close the door because it's not safe for my little kids to be out. And so it becomes a trust thing. If you are sitting in your, if you are in your room, your door gets to be open. I never leave the night with the door shut or locked ever. It's more something that okay, I'm going to shut it momentarily. Then I'm going to open it once you know that I'm going to do it. And then my kids stay. They're like, okay, I get it. But I'm just, I feel like once my kids know, like I said this, I followed through, they understand that I follow through. And then during the day when they're like, I want 10 more shows and I say no. And if we keep you know, arguing, I might have to shut the TV off. They're like, okay, I get it. Cause I know that you, you mean what you say, lady. Yeah. And if they, if you mean what you say and you say what you mean, then your kids have trust. And when they have trust, they can feel secure to listen to you. And they know that you're doing things for the right reason. Um, when we give in and we, sometimes we waver and sometimes it's two books and sometimes it's nine books. They don't know. They don't know when you're going to hit your wall. What day are you going to start to scream because they asked for an (laughs) extra book, whereas yesterday it was fine. And it's very confusing. And they're they're ultimately just doing their job. And we're kind of making it harder for them and for ourselves in doing that. Yes. It's like, it feels, I always give the example of any time as a, as a young person or a child, like even as a teenager, I would beg my parents for something I knew I wasn't allowed to have. And then once they said yes, I felt awful about it. It never felt good. It does not feel good to a child to give in. They feel yucky that there's no one in charge. So in the moment when you have to say, I'm sorry, it's just two books, know that in their little hearts, they're like, yay. (laughs) they really are yeah it's it's a gift to them and if you can set like like what you said that we might waver a little bit and and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I'm gonna have to shut your door but you told them in advance Mm -hmm. and so you gave them a choice which is really important you gave them that in advance you didn't just walk over and say that's it you're locked in your room they knew this if I do yeah, this is going to happen. And they're understanding what their consequence will be based on the choice they decide to make. Same thing with books. If you can totally. set up some concrete bedroom yeah. time routines, um, I think the use of age appropriate charts is super important to help put give kids power and put them in charge them. Um, and let them be able to visually follow along and, and be, be the master of the bedtime routine. Um, you can put on there two books. And when the chart says two books, the chart's the boss. Well, now you can just yeah. say, I'm really sorry you want a third <laughs> book. Why don't you choose it? And we'll get it ready for tomorrow night. But the chart says two for tonight. Yeah. But now you, you know, you're totally. sticking to your guns, but you're listening to them and they know that they're being heard. Amen. Well, Tia, I I know that we can talk for 17 years. Um, Where can people find you? Um, People can find me at tiaslidem.com and nobody can spell slidem. So hopefully you will drop a link. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> I will. I will. If you want information on my course, there's an entire page with tons of details and it's just tiaslitem.com backslash BFB, which is battle-free bedtimes. Um, so if you want to post awesome. those, people can read all about it. They can email me from my site if they have questions. Yeah. Um, and parents can know that I offer a 30 minute free discovery call so they can sign up for that at any time if they just want a few tips and they want to see if they can make some positive changes. I love that. Well, it was so, so good talking to you. This is going to be a popular one. All of my toddler stuff is insane. So um, hopefully you hear from lots of parents yeah. um, because I, I think this is so important. I, we're all kind of it's like we all want a baby and then that baby turns into a kid and we're like, oh my God, what happened? <laughs> and then that's where you come in. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and don't, don't suffer day in and day out, like ask for some help and small changes make really big results. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Tia. Yeah, uh, and everyone, I'm going to post all these links in the episode notes. So you'll be able to contact Tia directly. Um, she is amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Slumber Party. If you're ready to help your little one get the sleep that they need and get your nights back while you're at it, make sure to check out Amanda's signature DIY sleep training courses or work with her directly. For more details, head over to babiesbestsleep.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe, like, and review. Happy sleeping, everyone. <laughs>